Take the guesswork out of your cannabis shopping with the ECS DNA kit by Endocana Health. If you take pride in your canna nerdiness or are just canna curious, this kit empowers you to find more about the best cannabis choices. Right now, you can save 25% off your DNA test at endodna.com using promo code POD25. Your purchase includes the Endo DNA Collection Kit, Endo Decoded Report, personalized cannabinoid and terpene suggestions, and Endo Align products matching in your state. There will also be suggested dosage guidelines and optimum methods for inhalation or usage. Once you know your personal ECS data, you can shop Endo supplements tailored specifically for you. And right now, Endo DNA is celebrating their new patent with a buy one, get one offer on their Afika Soft Gel lineup. And since I know that many of you struggle with sleep, I want to highlight Afika Unwind, created to support health sleep cycles using patented proprietary formulations of hemp-derived CBD, terpenes, and essential oils. If sleep is eluding you, sweet dreams are in your future. Buy one for yourself and get one for a friend at endodna.com. And don't forget promo code POD25 at the checkout for 25% off your DNA test kit. I was ready for something with a bit more meaning to it. And I'd mentioned that to a couple of different recruiters that I was in touch with. And one of them said, all right, you want something with meaning? Here you go. I've got a team that's building a medical cannabis website. This is The Cannamom Show, a podcast chronicling the inspiring stories of real women in the emerging cannabis industry. Your host, Joyce Gerber, mom, lawyer, political activist, has been speaking with women from coast to coast and around the world who are leaders in the revolution of cannabis and caregiving, continuing on her mission to lift up the stories of the women creating the cannabis industry by sharing their canna stories with you. So go make yourself a cup of tea or roll yourself a joint, sit back and learn something new about this magical plant on The Cannamom Show with Joyce Gerber. From the Tip O'Neill Studios in North Cambridge, Massachusetts, it's the Cannamom Show. Now here's your host, Joyce Gerber. Welcome back to the Cannamom Show, where we are talking about caring for and giving voice to women in the emerging cannabis industry, one canna story at a time. Hey, Dave. Hey, how are you? I'm good. Guess who is named a top cannabis podcast in 10 Buds Magazine? How many guesses do I get? I bet I could get it in one. How about the Cannamom Show? Yes, you are Gerber. correct. All Woo-hoo. right. Yes, yes. Big things in 2022. Um, big things in 2022. And what else is happening in 2022 is midterms here in America. And cannabis voters, we are uniting to use our voice. Believe it or not, we have our own project. So if you're a cannabis voter, check out Head Counts. Cannabis Voters Project and find your fellow cannabis voters at concerts and events near you. It's pretty cool. So how many states have pivotal votes? Do we know? I'm not there yet, but yeah, it's voting. (laughs) I would assume there are always a number of states that are in flux on cannabis. Always in flux and whatever. As long as we can still vote in America, go out and do it (laughs) because it's really democracy is cool. And before I begin our show, I wanted to give a shout out to somebody cool that I met 
uh, Randy Lanier. I met him on a clubhouse room this week. He's formerly incarcerated in prison for cannabis, but is now focused. He's out and free and focused on his work with the freedomgrow.org. And Freedom Grow is an all-volunteer nonprofit organization who helps cannabis prisoners regain freedom while supporting their sacrifices through what he calls the WISH program, which helps prisoners with commissary money, books, magazines, family outreach, other public education that they need. And all they need to do is reach out to him. So I think that's a pretty interesting project he's involved in, freedomgrow.org. I know everyone knows about the last prisoners project, but this is another one out there. Freedomgrow.org. I'm going to check it out. Check it out. He was really, I got to say, I was in a clubhouse room. It's, I love clubhouse. And Mm. I think having that media in your head and he was telling me to be how grateful he was, how he had been in this part of the cannabis story, how he had been able to find his own freedom, even in isolation by reframing his own thoughts. And now he's out and he's not bitter. He's trying to do something better in the world. So I'd be, I'd be bitter. Yeah, so there you go. That's I mean, why you got to use cannabis. <laughs> well, it, it does makes me angry. It makes me angry. You saw the documentary Thirteen, right? About the Thirteenth mm-hmm. Amendment, and it just gets me angry. How many, particularly, how many African Americans, but just how many people generally have been in prison for long periods of time for just simple drug crimes, victimless crimes, you might say. It's infuriating, yes. but I'm Which glad. Yeah. And again, like, so again, I love talking about Northeastern University School of Law. We are changing the world. I have another classmate from 1998, Ashan Hall. He's running for district attorney in Plymouth County. District attorneys. I did reach out to him yesterday and said I'd be his cannabis advisor. None of my friends have taken me up yet, but I'm out here, people. Seriously, Maura, anyone, come back to me. I'll talk to you about cannabis policy. (laughs) So Randy Lanier, when I first Googled him, I first came up with this this race car driver, Randy Lear. Yes. I'm like, well, that, that can't be the same guy, but it is. It's the same oh, guy. He's got, he's, he's got a Netflix show. He's got a Netflix special. He's a big deal. Like the fact that he was talking to me on Clubhouse about my own gratitude was so nice of him. <laughs> yeah. I think I saw this Netflix thing. I got to check this out anyway. All right. Check it out. All right. Okay. So we do have a guest today. All right. So, and, yes. so we are moving on. And before I begin to introduce our guest, I do want to thank Plymouth Armory Group for making today's show possible. All right. Today's guest is meeting, is joining us from Israel. She is the CEO of the Kenigma, a woman-led cannabis publication with a C-suite occupied by both female and Arab executives. The mission of her publication is to make science and research-backed information available to everyone. Today's guest, Hannah Journey, started in journalism and brought her to the position of influence and one of the largest cannabis research hubs in the world, here today to share her wisdom on the emerging trends in cannabis from halfway across the world. Please welcome to the Cannamom Show, Alana Goldberg. Welcome, my friend. Welcome. Thank you, Joyce. Great to talk to you again. Happy to be here. Just jump into the Jew theme. Dave and I were having a conversation (laughs) earlier about how many Jews there really are. So you are a Jew raised in Australia, but you currently live in Israel. So I'm sure there's big differences about how cannabis experienced or understood in different countries. Do you want to give us a sort of quick overview? 
Yeah, in some ways it's different and in some ways it's really similar. Um, actually, as far as kind of, I don't know, the regulatory situation, there's not a huge difference between what's going on in Israel and what's going on in Australia. At the moment, they both have uh, medical programs and decriminalized recreational use. But, uh, so is it across the country? I actually, I'll say I'm ignorant about Australia. So is Australia, you don't do it by states, it's actually uh, across the whole country, it's medical no there's there there are minor differences between states but generally speaking it's it's decriminalized and not legalized from a recreational perspective and i think from more of like an attitudes or like stigma perspective israel and australia are also pretty aligned most people that you speak to would agree that cannabis does have some therapeutic and medicinal uses and still the majority are, are in favor of recreational legalization as well so it's all right. So that's good to know, because in America, we're like state by state. I know you kind of it's a different way of understanding how we treat it. And this morning I was talking to someone from South Carolina and I'm in Massachusetts. South Carolina doesn't even have medical yet. And Massachusetts has been fully adult use since 2016 vote. And I'm talking to people running for governor to be their cannabis, give them some cannabis advice. And South Carolina is still trying to get legislation passed to have medical use. So we're really far apart in this country in the different states. Yep. <laughs> it's a different world. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. So, so when I was young, as a young Jew, I did not ever put cannabis and Judaism or Israel together in any way, shape or form, but I know that Israel is the center of it all and cannabis research and science. So can you just talk a little bit how this happened? How did Israel become this hub? And one other thing I read this morning, we can get back to it, that there's a Dr. Chulin, I always say his name wrong, found a new acid or just the EPM 301. I read that in something. So we can talk about that later, but let's just talk about where you are and how Israel got to where they are. Yeah, so it's it's very appropriate that you mentioned uh, Professor Mashulam because Israel's story with cannabis research is, is very closely tied to his career, to his 50, 60 years long cannabis research career. Uh, it's a nice story, actually, and I really, I always like a nice story. He, he realized in the 60s that all of the other kind of main illicit substances, their active ingredients had been uh, researched or, or at least were, were starting to be researched, and yet cannabis hadn't. So he spoke to the police. Like it's like the, the Israeli story. Anyone who knows a bit about Israeli culture, he spoke to the police. He said, "Listen, I really want to research weed." So they gave him a bag of hash. Get out. Is that true? <laughs> confiscated on the Lebanese border. Yeah. And that's how, uh, that's where he first isolated THC and CBD with his team and a number of other researchers based in Israel and in the region. And that's how it all began. And basically just the regulatory situation here in Israel has been more open to research on the plant than, than certainly than in the United States and in the rest of the world as well. And I think it also speaks a bit to the kind of entrepreneurial spirit of the Israeli people, that it's something that, you know, We've just kind of really got behind. And for us at the Kenigma, it's super useful to be sitting right here in the research hub, whether it's experts that we can consult with or research institutions, the Technion University in Haifa and also the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. Both have significant uh, portions of their budget going into research on various different conditions and how cannabis might be of use there. And it's just a, an, an honor and a privilege to be right here next to all of that. I will point out that other countries around the world a number of countries in Europe, Germany, Italy are kind of starting to catch up. And also in the United States with the recent change in the types of cannabis that are available for researchers to, to use for their research, it's, it's opened up. So, I mean, happily for all of us, there's, there's a kind of growing uh, list of contributors to that body of research. But I mean, my understanding is it really is, if it hadn't been for this 1960s 
research, we might still be on the war on drugs. You might still have no concept of why this, the narrative around cannabis was so wrong. Because I, I think about this a lot, how I don't really understand how the story got spread around the world. I know it has something to do with Harry Anslinger. I know it has something to do with World War II. I know there's a lot of conspiracy, but it seems like it was one person's narrative that constricted the whole world. And I don't know what the attitude was exactly in Israel, but that now you're undoing it because of this. It's science. I keep saying this. It's not a belief system. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 Look, to be honest, Joyce, I don't know how accurate that is because we've had this information for decades and it hasn't done anything to cut down this stigma. The, the misinformation campaign that was started in, by Harry Ansiger and then by the United States in the United Nations and went all around the world with that initial prohibition almost 100 years ago. Right. Um, could have started to break down a few decades later, but it was very strong. And it's also not just that initial campaign. The campaign was continued on. I think, you know, Reefer Madness is a good few decades after that. So there's been some very good propaganda work done, which is still being pulled apart. It's, we're, we're, we're not there yet. We're nowhere near it. I guess that is what it's pulling it apart. This idea, again, like I do a podcast out of my daughter's bedroom about cannabis. It's one story at a time, but these stories are part of unraveling that narrative. Yeah. Right? So another issue, just we're talking about Canada's, we're talking about, but your uh, Kenigma, it's very unique. It's female focused. You're also Israeli and Arab, uh, Jewish and Arabs together. Um, how unusual is that sort of in this world? And what are you seeing as the benefit specifically in terms of how cannabis research is going and what you're able to, the different perspectives that are brought to this to bring forward new information? Yeah, definitely. I think it's super important. So yes, it's very different. The, the you know, it's, Israel is kind of known as the startup nation. Uh, it's a big part of the culture, but the majority of the people starting companies in Israel are white men between the ages of 18 and 35, like everything else. Like everything else. It's, it's very rare, this sort of pairing of, of Jewish and Arab entrepreneurs working together. But I think it's not just about the management. It's also the, the, the entire team is very diverse. We have a team member in India. We have team members sitting in the United States on both the East Coast and the West Coast. And even within the Israeli team we're pretty much all expats so on like any of our standard team meetings we'll have an Australian and Arab Israeli as we said an Orthodox Jew an ex-Orthodox Jew a Norwegian uh, immigrant a Brit an American immigrant to Israel so it's a very diverse team and I think the way this serves us is that you know kind of uh, circling back to what we we're speaking about at the beginning about what our attitudes to cannabis in Australia and Israel we have a diverse kind kind of a range of points of view here as well. Some Jewish, some not Jewish, some based in Israel, some not. And so we're able to understand all these different facets of both the plan and the story. And so I think that really, it definitely connects in with the, the topic of diversity and race in the United States. But really, I think it's a global kind of change in attitude that's going on at the moment. And I'll add to that as well, this is super relevant to the cannabis space. There are certain populations all over the world. I know the United States has particular story here with, with the war on drugs that have been disproportionately affected um, by these campaigns. And that's true everywhere. And so I think these different perspectives that we bring give us a kind of sensitivity to the nuance of those stories. I mean, that is so important to hear. This is a global story. And again, that we are all humans and we are, our brains are all human brains and we're all subjected to certain stories that we may or may not be conscious of how it's impacting us. We live in a particularly Jewish-centric perspective. I do here in Massachusetts. Again, earlier, Dave and I were waiting for you, and we were doing just a game count of 
how many Jews are in America? And, <laughs> but we do come to it from a perspective of our own, but to understand that it's kind of universal, these kind of universal things that we're having with our neighbors who are Arab aren't really the other, because I will say I always felt like the other. But now that I talk to so many other people, I realize everybody feels like the other at some level. I mean, I think that's the, that's the epiphany when you actually start engaging outside your own community. Yeah, absolutely. I remember feeling like growing up as as a, a Jew in Australia, I felt like an other, like you're saying. And then I moved over to Israel. And I'm like, okay, well, now I'm an Australian living in Israel. And I think the, the that like uh, aha moment, that epiphany that you're talking about is when you zoom out and connect into the universal, in the kind of like universal humanity, rather than sticking in this, I'm going to get all Buddhist on you, this like contracted sense of self. So, if we're, if, we're, if we're thinking about me all the time, then everyone else is other. But if we're thinking we, then it's all the same. Again, and that's kind of where cannabis has brought me in a way. But the other thing we talk about a lot, because it's February, is cannabis and sex. Dave loves when I bring this up. <laughs> so I know you've had some really great, I'm just shifting up to the kidigma. I know you've had some great stories out. I've been seeing some things that are coming up. So this is, a, is this a big theme kind of around your world that people are talking about? Last week, I was talking to some women in New York with some products. Again, talking about testing these products because you are putting them in your body, you're putting them in your vagina. So if you want to put something in there, it should be not toxic. So, <laughs> but it does well, yeah. work really well. Yeah. So what do you, I know that you've had some good articles out. What are you seeing about this? Because it's almost Valentine's Day. People are thinking about this. It is indeed. Yeah, we did decide to have a bit more. It was actually more a sex focus we decided on uh, for February rather than just women. But there's two uh, articles particularly that we just published in the last uh, couple of days. One is uh, a woman's guide to cannabis and sex. So it goes through how cannabis can be useful or hinder, by the way. It's not always useful. And I think that's one really important piece of the kind of cannabis education story is that we're not doing the plant any favours by pretending that all cannabis is good for everyone in all situations. And so I do say this all the time on the show. I know it doesn't cure everything. It doesn't do everything. But again, the idea that it has to be part of the first line of defense or the first yeah. opportunities as opposed to the opiates or the painkillers or the steroids or even it kind of goes back to the, um, the EPM 301 I was reading about, which is uh, for the acid. So it's before you decarboxylate it to create this uh, synthetic. Uh-huh of the acid so they can help with inflammation, which can reduce your use of other medications, which have side effects, other side effects that we know aren't necessarily beneficial. So again, it doesn't solve every problem, but it has to stop being the last line of resort. And it seems to be something that's helping women. Right. Definitely. Yeah. And the safe first line method for sure. And it kind of links in uh, to the other related kind of like Valentine's day themed, well, loosely Valentine's day themed content that we put out, which was how to make your own cannabis lube, which, you know, I saw that. Other, you know, putting things in your body that haven't been tested, just make it yourself. So many of these products you can just make at home. All right. So my initial reaction to that was what a great idea. And then I'm like, I don't make anything. I'm never going to do that. <laughs> But and again, to have access to this information, it's not it shouldn't be secrets. These aren't secrets. These are things that we can do to make ourselves feel better. So how do you choose your topics? Because those are kind of interesting. How are you deciding what you want to focus on? Because obviously cannabis touches so many different things. 
Yeah, definitely. It does. I, it's a combination, really, the way we choose our content um, of editorial and SEO, search engine, uh, engine optimization research, and also kind of looking at what's current and any sort of partnerships that we're working with, people that have reached out to us to tell, to tell us about their initiatives often end up on the list. And what we do every month is we make a big dump list, generally about 200 different topics, and we get together as a team and we talk through each of them and work out kind of pros and cons of each and we pray prioritize them. We work out which different writers and experts we have available at any point and how we're going to assign all this content. And then we, we, we come with a short list, which isn't actually that short of about 50 articles per month that we cover. We do have a, a really nice mix in there of kind of how-tos, food-related content, research write-ups, regulation content. We're, we're in the process of getting a page on the regulatory situation in every single country around the world. Wow. We're built into a world map, which is really, really intense to maintain. I'll tell you that because things are always changing and there's a lot of nuances. I actually just had the uh, president of the Medical Cannabis Association of Spain reach out to us and kind of wow. give us a tiny correction about what was in the article. And I was like, great, please read through it all and let me know if there's anything else we should know because often when, you know, we're going through documents that we need to get translated or we need to get And verified. I can just imagine, I'm just, I mean, I'm in Massachusetts, so it's not just American. It's, it's not just state. It's literally community by community specific. That is yeah. really how difficult it is. So when I we meet people in America or even in Massachusetts doing regulatory work, you know, it's very important that they, and I'm a lawyer by training. So I understand that you have to have these regulations have to be, they have to be up, they have to be updated constantly. Yeah. And you need to keep on top of it. So it's difficult. I understand that really hard work. Right, absolutely. So the content, we've got the content creation arm of our editorial team. And then there's the optimization, the constant upkeep and maintenance of, of all of the different content we have on the site, because you know, people rely on us to be able to get information. And we want to make sure that we're giving them the right information when they get to the site. So I'd say we put probably equal effort into new content and maintaining the existing content on the site. Okay, so let's just kind of go back to your personal story. So we didn't kind of skip that over. So you are, are a journalist. You are not working for a weed magazine. You're working for the Jerusalem Post. You are. So how did you get from, what was your journey and what was your relationship really with cannabis that got you into this world? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I'm a, a, a journalist uh, by profession, as you mentioned. And really, I mean, what, what, the way I say it is I'm a writer. I've always loved writing. I've been writing since I could write. I've got boxes of my journals sitting just downstairs here from when I was like four years old. I loved writing in a journal. And so that all led me to just after I moved to Israel uh, in my early 20s, I had a friend who was working on the breaking news desk at the Jerusalem Post. And then he said, yeah, come on, give it a try kind of thing. And so I went and I did this test. I remember there was part of the test was that I had to listen to a news bulletin, like the hourly news broadcast on the radio. And then I had to write down all the different news stories and talk about what I would publish on the Jerusalem Post website. I think I understood like every second word at that point. My Hebrew wasn't where it is now. And I was like, all right, got to like quickly look up everywhere and work it out. Anyway, so I was there for five years. I ended up managing that website for, for a few of those years. The last three years, I was managing the website of jpost.com. Then I moved over and, and I was totally hooked, I got to say, from that point on in, in digital content uh, creation. What I really loved was the part that you get to interact with masses of users at the same time and find out what interesting to them it's like the 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 kind of online human behavior study that I really enjoy about it so after the Jerusalem Post I went on to help grow a website which is uh, kind of the opposite of the Jerusalem Post it's called goodnet.org as you can understand from the name it's uh, it's all about 
positive initiatives, whether it's kind of like self-development or environmental studies or community social equity initiatives. So very different than the like hardcore kind of Middle East politics. And it's a really nice change of pace for me. And there also, I, I, I kind of deepened my understanding of how the internet works from a content perspective and from a user behavior perspective. And then I spent a few years understanding how the internet really works, working in performance marketing. So and what, and what, year, what, what year was this? What year are we talking about of the internet? So we're getting to, oh, you're challenging me there. I started Because no, 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 it changed so fast, you know? Yeah, yeah. So it was 2013. Oh, okay. About 2016 that I was at GoodNet. And then I moved over and, and did a few years working in performance marketing for a big Israeli uh, online marketing firm called Natural Intelligence. And there, what I focused on was content optimization. So understanding if I change this one word on this page, what will it do to the revenues that are being derived from this page? And it was wow. really amazing what we found out that there were like fluctuations of up to 20% from changing one word. So first of all, we understood from that that people really do read, even if they're just clicking on ads, even if they're looking at a quick top 10 best, whatever it is, antivirus softwares that they are really paying attention, even if it's just subliminating to the words on the page. But I was ready for something else and I was ready for something with a bit more meaning to it. My work was interesting. I worked with amazing people. It was a fantastic school for digital marketing. But it felt like I wasn't doing anything bad for the world, but I I didn't feel like I was doing something good. And I'd mentioned that to a couple of different recruiters that I was in touch with that were constantly basically suggesting that I run different content operations for fintech companies in Israel. Fintech's uh, pretty big here at the moment over the last few years. And one of them came to me and said, all right, you want something with meaning? Here you go. I've got a founding team that's building a medical cannabis website. Talk to them. They're looking for an editor. They're looking for like an editor-in-chief. Um, and so I met what, who went on to be like the, the management team of the Kenigma, loved what they were doing, loved the energy, loved the idea. And at that point, really, I felt like, all right, well, I don't know anything about medical cannabis. That was our focus at the beginning, just medical cannabis. Uh, yeah, sure, I've had a relationship with the plant from when I was 13, but I don't know anything about medical cannabis. And so I came in and we started like building out, like understanding even what are going to be the first articles, the first hundred articles on this website. And already I found myself understanding that, okay, I actually do know a little bit about this plant, having used it for 15 years at that point. And, and what made me even more engaged with this story was understanding this kind of paradox of like on one hand you've got this substance which is saving lives which is changing quality of life for people with all sorts of different conditions and symptoms and it feels like it's not connected at all to like you know what I was putting in the bung that I was smoking behind the scout hall opposite you know the school I grew up in in Sydney but really it's all just the same plan I'm kind of like like we were saying before, pulling apart the story of all the misinformation and the stigma, for me, it's just a fascinating story to tell. And on one hand, there's all these different products, there's all these different applications. Uh, cannabis is not just one thing. And on, on the other hand, it's all the same plant. It's just cannabis. That's the truth of it. I mean, it's almost an intention. I don't know. This, it's a very complicated relationship people seem to have with it. And they do seem to have a lot of shame coming into it. This seems to be the story, especially with moms. They don't know. And you are a mom, correct? So I do have to take a break, but I want to talk about how, how old are your children? Just a preview. Five and eight. So you get kids. Yeah. So that's younger-ish. And then they grow up, these children who grow up on the normalization have a different relationship. So we're going to come back with my friend Alana Goldberg after a message about our sponsor, Plymouth Armor Group. Today's show is made possible with the support of our sponsor, Plymouth Armor Group. 
Plymouth Armor Group is New England's leading cannabis and cash transporter. They are laser-focused on security, compliance, and trust. Plymouth Armor Group is building a professional service organization run by professionals, their people, their technology, their risk mitigation program, their geographic reach, and their approach to doing business serves as a benchmark in the cannabis industry. Plymouth Armor Group embraces the notion that anything worth doing is worth doing well, so they have invested in the right people, the right technology, and the right risk mitigation program to create a truly unique and much-needed service offering in our emerging cannabis industry. Plymouth Armor Group is proudly run by a female-led executive team, and their diverse and talented staff bring years of collective experience in cannabis security, banking, and transport. If you are a cannabis professional looking for transport solutions, please visit their website and mention the Cannamom to take advantage of a special offer just for our listeners. Thank you, Plymouth Armor Group. Okay, we are back with my Israeli cannabis science expert and journalist, Alana Goldberg. When we left, we're talking about your children. So you have this new job, you're doing your thing, you've left your Goodreads and what do your children know about cannabis or what is your relationship in your house? Are you open? Is it not? And then what do they think of it now? What do they know about it? Yeah, they didn't really know anything beforehand. They were kind of too young. It's not like it was really hidden. But I also happened to, like not related to the kids, I, I took a break from cannabis. I took a break from alcohol and cannabis and cigarettes, which were all probably far too big a part of my life in my partying days before I met my husband and started having kids. So I, I took a break and, and was focusing a lot on meditation, actually on Buddhist meditation. And when I came, when I started working with Kenigma, no surprise, I kind of rekindled my relationship with the plant. And so that was really the opportunity to start normalizing. And how do my kids see it? I have a weed drawer, which is part of our bar, which is built into our kind of wall unit. And it's substances that are not for kids. They're just for, for parents. That's number one. They also know that it can be a medicine. And my son has a tendency to tell people off if he sees them smoking cigarettes. And he says to them, why don't you just smoke? So yeah, pretty chill. He tells people, my mom, my mom smokes cannabis, not cigarettes. Um, All the joy dolls from his backpack here. <laughs> yeah, right. So I, I, it's going to be interesting to see how it is. I know your kids are older, Joyce. We've spoken about this before, but it's going to be interesting how it is for them growing up, whether it's something that's really not a big deal and not something they need to rebel about because it's just been so normalized. I mean, that's my hope. I know that it was a big kind of taboo uh, in the society I grew up in, which made it very exciting for me. Yeah. And again, like I say, so I my mother, actually, my mother just passed, but I could not convince my own mother the benefits of CBD. This is an interesting generational shift. But, you know, obviously, my children are well aware of how it works. And we survived the pandemic. I, I keep saying this, I would rather be um, in, you know, locked down with a stoner than a drinker. I learned this and our kids, I, my kids are in college. So we had a whole different relationship. But I do say the I talk to moms about this, like, this is my open topic, moms and cannabis. So they say their children are just smarter and they know stuff that they can, again, like who's pushing back against the dare guys, the policemen who are coming in and still conflating cannabis with alcohol, opiates, and heroin. I mean, they still say it in the same sentence, which is really frustrating. And these children who are raised in this very open environment, who know it's mommy's medicine or daddy's medicine or daddy's business and think it's boring because it's not exciting, yeah. can, they can push back. And the joke my friend has is that when they're old enough and people are starting to offer them stuff, They'll know it's bad. They'll be like, well, what's the terpene profile? 
Where'd you get yeah. it? Is it you know? That's amazing. Do you, do you think that's true? I mean, it's not something hidden. It's something, again, it's just like this whole idea of being transparent and being open to be seen. That's part of the, it's part of the shame of motherhood and cannabis use, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I think my kids benefit also by having a mother that's gets really creative and really enjoys the art projects as much as they do sometimes and can get into imaginative play with them and can like shake off like a really insane 14 hour day to spend that last half an hour of the day that I can manage to spend with them. And I'm in a great mood and relaxed and, and ready to be able to be present with them. And I think they really benefit from that as well. And my guest last week actually said literally the same thing that her kids remember her being fun. Mm-hmm. And my kids do not really remember me being fun. I was a bit stressed and I can see how it could be that they, last week we were talking a little bit about transitioning, the transition from like your boss babe life to your sexy ma or sexy wife vibe. Mm-hmm. Like there's a transition, but I think a lot about how that I did a transition from my boss babe vibe to being my mom because it's a big transition in your mindset and that two hits, three hits, sitting in your room for a few minutes, breathing in, breathing out. And then going downstairs and having to set up another Lego set or clean up the mess or get dinner while they're like talking to you would have been so much easier. Definitely. Lego is so much fun. Everyone says this. We did a great one somewhere. must have been one of the lockdowns where we actually decided to tip out all of the Lego that was in like weird boxes and different systems or whatever. We tipped it all onto the floor. We put music on and the four of us spent five hours sorting out all of the Lego, making different systems, deciding on different colors, deciding the wheels go here. It was really, and I I don't know who had more fun, the kids or the adults. (laughs) Probably adult, but again, so moms, this is a big deal. I talk about it all the time. There's no shame in feeling good and feeling relaxed and being in the moment. It doesn't make you, it's that idea that you're going to be on the couch eating Cheetos, ignoring your children. And I say this all the time. You like your kids better. You find them more interesting. It's weird. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I'm more likely to be losing myself in the Cheetos if I haven't consumed (laughs) There you go from an expert. All right, let's go back to you. You are in Israel. Are you doing any interesting cannabis events in Israel this year? I know there's something in Tel Aviv or are you traveling around the world? What are, what are you doing? Yeah, well, I mean, we'll see. Yeah, I can tell you my, what my plans are, but um, who knows? I know. Um, yeah, so there's Canex in March. I'm definitely going to be putting on our own event around that. I will keep you posted. Is there any chance you'll make it over? All right, so my husband, again, I made him go to Reno this year, but I'm like, I could go to other places too. Would you come with me? And I'm like, maybe Tel Aviv next year. So- <laughs> All right. <laughs> like, if we uh, can leave the country, we get our passports. We're good. We can leave for just the COVID thing. So <laughs> Very good. Yeah. So probably planning also to be in Barcelona for Spanibus. Uh, it's actually in the days right before Canex in Tel Aviv. And then we'll see where the rest of the year takes us. There's a great conference that I really like. I put on by Prohibition Partners, Cannabis Europa in London. I believe that's in May or June this year. I've moderated panels for a number of their conferences before, both online and in person. So I'd like to be able to make it over there. And then I was at MJ Biz in October last year. That was oh, my you went? First time in Las Vegas. That was very interesting. Yeah, that's. I, I was there for MJ Biz in 2019. It was literally the last place I went and I'd never been to Vegas before and I'm not really a gambler, but my yeah. brother told me to stay in there. Really, he was an architect. He said, stay in the Wynn Hotel. It's really nice. <laughs> You'll like it. Yeah. And it was okay. Vegas was okay. I don't think it's really my town, but yeah. <laughs> 
Vegas is a very interesting place, yeah. But it was a fantastic experience being oh, yeah. at MJ One and at MJ Unpacked, the two conferences that were running side by side. So really got to I got to meet people in the industry who have built up these relationships who really feel like colleagues and comrades and friends who I'd never met. Discovered people were all a lot taller than me, which is I thought we were all the same height. <laughs> Spent the whole spent the whole week. Oh, I don't think your listeners can actually see me, but spent the whole time with uh, my next door from looking up from all these tall people, Jewish girls, and small Jewish girls who don't wear heels. We got to look up. And then headed over to LA to do a week of dispensary tours as well. Uh, Oh wow! Majority of our audience on the Kinigmaries in the United States, and I, I started feeling like we're talking about dispensaries. We're talking about this consumer experience all the time, and I just don't know them well enough. So that was really enlightening. So I, I dare say we'll probably do that again when it rolls around later in the year. Well, you have to come back to Massachusetts. Actually, I have a question. So do you? what do you have in Israel? Do you have dispensaries? What do you have to purchase cannabis? How does that work? No, so it's only medical okay. um, and it's distributed through uh, pharmacies at okay. this point. Yeah. Uh, however, we're gearing up for, for legalization. And if you walk along Dizengoff, the main street in Tel Aviv, you'll see like every second shop is a head shop, which is basically just ready for the moment that it's going to be able to flip to a dispensary. And there's also a couple of different organizations that I know of that are buying up pharmacies to be able to flip those into dispensaries as well when it becomes available. Well, that's, a, and that's an interesting business model. And I know they have a different relationship with smoking in Israel than they do in America. And we're having a big issue with consumption lounges because you can't smoke anywhere in America except in Oklahoma, I think. So how does that work in Israel? Right. So I know there's a couple, there's a couple of consumption lounges that had just opened in Vegas when we were Oh yeah, there. Vegas. Vegas, you can smoke in Vegas. Yeah, obviously. Right, right. I mean, yeah, you can smoke, but I mean, in the casinos, you can smoke cigarettes wherever you want, but there's massive signs everywhere saying that you can't consume marijuana, probably because it wouldn't go well with gambling. You can imagine that like the drive to gamble would just drop. You'd be like, um, I'm, I'm cool. I, I have enough. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. They're like, no, you don't. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But alcohol and nicotine go much better with that whole business. Yeah, look, a different relationship with smoking over here in Israel. It's also just a different relationship with rules in general. (laughs) Israelis all like like the concept of rules, but don't believe that they actually apply to them. And I include myself in that. I've been here for 15 years now. I can take on that kind of stereotype. I know that when I first moved to Israel, I, I was so shocked to see when I first went to a cinema that they still were stopping the movie in the middle so that everyone could go out have a cigarette break and come back in walk down the street in Tel Aviv and you wouldn't know that that cannabis isn't legal it is an interesting country I mean even the relationship with guns which we don't want to need to go to right now but just the idea that you feel very safe everyone's got um, AK-47 strapped on their back walking around I remember going as a kid and you had some in the front of the bus it was kind of such a different relationship but I, I also think that America should model themselves that idea that everyone does service to your country for two years everyone learns to shoot a gun Everybody gives something back and then maybe we'd be more united. I mean, that's my big idea and cannabis. Yeah, I was say, yeah, you're right that we probably shouldn't get into gun policy now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'd probably learn more from Australia than from mm. Israel when it comes to gun policy. But I think in Israel, there's two things. First of all, everyone is people with weapons are very well trained in the weapon. Right, right. And they're also like they've, they've from the age of 18, which is obviously a very impressionable age, they're exposed to seeing the, the bloodshed and tears that, that can come from these weapons. And so I think there's a much, there's quite a like a sober attitude to guns over here. 
But yeah, I also remember, you know, being really uncomfortable with like the Uzi that was sticking into my leg from the soldier that I was squished up next to in a packed Jerusalem bus when I was 18. Yeah, that's a kind of eye-opening. All right. Oh my God, I could talk to you forever, but we do have to wrap it up. What's so people, if they want to get connected with the Kenigma, if they want to reach you, what's the best way? And yeah, what's the best way to reach you and what's the best way to connect with the Kenigma? Yeah, so check out the Kenigma, Kenigma.com. Very easy. You can also check us out on pretty much every social media platform, whatever uh, you're into, just Kenigma or the Kenigma. And if you want to get in touch with me, LinkedIn is generally a good place. Connect with me, shoot me a message, and uh, yeah, I'd love to hear from you all. Okay, thank you, Alana. Thank you. What a great conversation. Thank you for joining us today from halfway across the world, the Canamom Show, not just America, international. <laughs> my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Joyce. All right. So, for my guest, and of course, my Canabro, David Yaz. Oh, I didn't make blush too much today. And our Canabro. Not, as bad. Show Not team. as bad as last week. No. No. Um, <laughs> I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the Canamom Show, where we are on a mission to enhance the impact women have on the emerging cannabis industry by sharing and preserving their stories of love, kindness, wisdom, and hope. Thank you for listening and sharing the inspiring stories of the women building this new industry so that together we can crush the stigma around cannabis. And everyone, I'm your host, Joyce Gerber. This is the Cannamom Show, and we are a production of Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, y'all. I'm Joe, host of Casually Baked the Podcast. If you're curious to explore the highly responsible side of cannabis, farming, and legalization, I'm here to help lighten the stigma and build your can of confidence. Download episodes now of Casually Baked the Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And journey with me through the evolving cannabis culture and discover how and why people like you are adding cannabis to their wellness toolkit. It's time to get casually baked.